0: Well, we have a great study in God's Word prepared this morning, and I trust your heart is open and your mind is receptive uh, to receive the Word of God and to, to act upon it. So I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter four, and today, I want to speak to you on the subject of the return of Christ. I think it would be most appropriate, one, because We're bringing to an an end this time with the tent being up. Actually, I preached the first message in the tent, so it's only appropriate that i bring the house down uh, this morning and preach the last message in the tent. Uh, But also, I think it is most appropriate because of everything that we see going on in the world around us. We see our world unraveling like a cheap sweater everything is imploding before our very eyes. Law and order is dissipating. Uh, government is out of control. Uh, the pandemic continues, apparently, to spread to some degree. There's unrest among the nations. Immorality has, has never sunk this low before. And with all that is going on, I think we would need to ask the question, could it be that God is putting the pieces into place for the time of the return of His Son? Because we know when we read the Bible that those days immediately before the coming of Christ are not going to be good days. They're going to be days marked by unprecedented and unparalleled evil in the world, and I want us to give thought to what will what will it be like when Jesus returns? And so in our passage here, 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 16, there could not be a more relevant passage for us to consider today. I can tell you this, we've never been this close to the return of Christ. We stand potentially on the very precipice of eternity. So I want to begin by reading the passage, 1 Thessalonians 4. I want to begin reading in verse 16, and I'll continue into the first two verses of chapter 5. This is the Word of God. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. In these verses, we see the important truth that Jesus Christ is coming back for His church, and He will take us home to the place that He is now preparing for us. And I think we have a tendency to be so focused upon this world and what is going on around us in this world that sometimes we lose sight of the world to come and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every generation of believers have anticipated and looked for the return of Christ in their day. But no generation has ever had such a reason to be looking up for Christ to appear than than this generation. It's been said that a person would be so heavenly-minded, He's no earthly good. Well, I've never met that person because I do not think you can be too heavenly-minded. In fact, you will never be any earthly good until you are first and foremost heavenly-minded. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so I think it would be good for us, good for our heart and for our souls to consider what will happen if Jesus were to appear today, in the air. What would happen? What would it be like? We need to remain focused upon this coming day. Martin Luther, the great German reformer said, I only have two days on my calendar, today and that day. You and I need to have those two days as red-letter days on our calendar. Today, behold, now is the accepted time, behold, today is the day of salvation. But also the day of Christ's return. George Whitfield, the great evangelist, said, I am daily waiting for the coming of the Son of Man. You and I need to be moment by moment, daily, waiting for the return of Christ, listening for that trumpet to blast. And J.C. Ryle, the great Englishman, said, In all our thoughts about Christ, let us never forget his second coming. I don't want us to forget the reality of his second coming. And so I want to bring this to the forefront of your mind and to your thinking such that throughout the day, throughout this week, throughout the days ahead, that you would be ever thinking about the return of Jesus Christ for his church. What I want to do is, I want to go to many different passages this morning, and I want to give you nine words, nine words that will define and describe the return of Jesus Christ. And the first word is unexpectedly. Uh, The Lord will return without warning. Uh, He will come when we least expect it. We read in chapter five, verse two, which I just read, that the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. The, the day of the Lord here in verse two refers to that time known as the Great Tribulation, when all hell will break loose here upon the earth, and it and it will come when the world. Verse three is saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon the earth. But to begin the day of the Lord will be the appearance of the Lord Himself, and Jesus will appear like a thief in the night. He will come unannounced. He will come unexpected. A thief never signals the time of His coming, but He waits until everyone in the house is asleep in an unconscious state, and then that is His opportunity to enter into the house. So when Jesus comes, He will not come like a friend would say, I'd like to drop by tomorrow afternoon and see you at three o'clock, and you have plenty of time to to ready yourself and to, to clean up your apartment or your house. No, He will come like a thief in the night. The world will be asleep when Jesus comes again. The world will be caught up in the affairs of society and the culture and the worlds of finance and the worlds of education and the worlds of entertainment and the worlds of, of of government, the world will be giving no thought to eternity. The world will be giving no thought to what lies ahead. And tragically, so many believers, Christians, will also be asleep and ill-prepared For the return of Jesus Christ, thinking that I will always have tomorrow, I will always have next week and next month and next year, but we must be always dressed with readiness, always on red alert, always anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. So first of all, He will come unexpectedly, when you least expect it. Second, He will come suddenly. When Jesus comes, it will take place really just in a, in a millisecond. And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52, and I want this verse to speak to this point. In verse 52, I'll start reading in verse 51, "'Behold, I tell you a mystery.'" A mystery is something that is a truth that has been concealed throughout Old Testament times. A veil has been over this truth and no one knew this truth. And now with the New Testament and the ministry of the apostles, that, that veil is removed from this mystery and this truth is now made known. Behold, I tell you a mystery we will not all sleep. And the word sleep here is a euphemism for a Christian who dies. And it will be as harmless for a believer to die as when you lay your head down on the pillow and go to sleep. Uh, Jesus has already conquered death. And when a believer dies, their body is laid in the grave, their soul goes immediately into the presence of of God. 2 Corinthians 5 says, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but the body is laid in the grave. And as you see the body, perhaps when the casket is open at the funeral service, it looks as though the body is asleep. And that is what Paul is referring to here. I tell you, mystery, we will not all sleep, meaning we will not all die there will be a generation of Christians who will be alive at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And who knows but that we might be in that terminal generation, that we would never die, that we would simply graduate to glory from this life to the life to come. And so Paul is saying to the church in in Corinth, we will not all sleep. We, We will not all die, there will be a generation that will be alive when Christ returns. And when that happens at the end of verse 51, but we will all be changed. And what a change will take place. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But notice the suddenness of it in verse 52. I want you to see this. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's how quickly the return Of Christ will come. There will be no time to get ready. There there will be no time to to say, oh, I knew I should have believed in Jesus Christ. Let me do it very quickly. There will be no time to to reconcile a broken relationship. There will be no time to, to render a service for the Lord that you knew that you should have done. No, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Christ will return, and this great change will take place you see the word moment there in verse 52, in a moment? That's a Greek word that comes into our English language almost literally as atom, A-T-O-M. And atom is an indivisible measure of something that cannot be sliced any thinner. It, it can't be cut into any smaller portion. That, that's what this word Atomos means in in the Greek, and it's just translated here as, as moment, but it is the smallest possible amount of time. That's how quickly the Lord will burst onto the scene in the sky above. And He now gives us a picture. He not only tells us in a moment, He now shows us in the next, in the next words, in the twinkling of an eye. Your eye can move more rapidly than any other part of your body. And the twinkling of an eye means, in essence, the blinking of your eye. That's how suddenly, that's how quickly Christ will appear in the skies without any warning. Another passage that is very important is James chapter 5 and and verse 9. James chapter 5 And verse 9, which says, Behold. In other words, don't miss this. You need to see this. That's what the word behold means. Look at this. Let this stick with you. Behold, the judge, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. John 5 says that the Father has given all judgment to the Son. The judge is standing right at the door this door that separates eternity from time, this door that separates heaven from the created order of the universe below. The judge is standing right at the door. Uh, The imagery here is that he's at the door, his hand is on the door, he can push it open at any second, He's no longer seated at the right hand of God the Father. He has arisen from his throne of sovereignty. And he has walked to the door that must open for him to descend from heaven down to the earth. And he has already arisen, no longer seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and he is standing right at the door, and in but the blink of an eye, he can push it open and descend from heaven with a shout. That's how sudden will be the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that moment, there will be no time to make matters right. There will be no time to witness to a lost friend. There'll be no time to confess sin. It will take place so suddenly, suddenly and unexpectedly. Third, he will come personally. Come back to First Thessalonians chapter 4 just for a moment. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 again. I, I, I love this verse. This verse has captured my heart for, for many years. Verse 16, for the Lord himself, underscore the word himself, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. He will not send someone in his name. He, he will not send someone else like an ambassador to, to represent him in the air at the time of of His return. He'll not send Moses or David or or Paul. No, it is the Lord Himself, the Lord who appeared the first time upon this earth 2,000 years ago, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless and perfect life, who went to the cross, who bore the sins of His people, who shed His blood, who was buried, who was raised from the dead, who ascended back to heaven, this Jesus. This is the Jesus who will return again the second time. I'll never forget when I was in college in the age of many of you, and I actually had never even heard of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I remember being in a small group Bible study with some of my my classmates, and we came to this subject. This truth, it, it just blew my mind. You mean Jesus Christ is coming back? Most of you here today are very familiar with that truth, but for me, it was the first time I had heard it, and I cannot tell you how how it electrified my, my heart and my soul, the excitement of the anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ, and that it will be Christ Himself who will come back. We love Him now by faith. In that day, we will see Him by sight, and we are separated from Him now, the great distance from the earth to the heights of heaven. But in that day, when He comes personally, for the first time in our lives, we will be united with Him, even in proximity, and we will be with Him forever and ever and ever. Oh, the best is still yet to come for us. Let me give you a fourth word. Not only will He come unexpectedly and suddenly and personally, but fourth, He will come dramatically. His appearing will come with all of the rush of excitement that you would expect of royalty appearing. He will make a grand appearance it will be the highest dr- most dramatic moment that this world would ever know in verse 16 again first Thessalonians 4 in verse 16 for the lord himself will just… four things here number 1 will descend from heaven it, he will descend from heaven like a lightning bolt out of a out of a cloudless day suddenly, in a moment, just descending down from heaven, from on high. And then it says with a shout. Do you see that in your Bible, with a shout? That word shout represents the shout of Jesus Christ Himself. It will not be the shout of an angel. It will not be the shout of, of anyone else, but the very audible voice of Jesus Christ Himself. He will give an ear-piercing, dramatic shout. That will be the next sound that you will hear when Christ appears. The very voice that said, Lazarus, come forth, will be the voice that will shout in the sky. The very voice that said, to the angry waves, peace, be still. And the storm subsided. The very voice from the ca- from the cross that said "It is finished" will be the voice that will cry out in this appearing, and the word shout with a shout that that word in the original language means a loud shout. It will not be a whisper. It will not be mumbled. It will be a shout of command. It will be startling for us to hear it. It will be arresting. It will be electrifying for you and me to hear our Savior shout in the sky above as He comes for us. And then third, we say with the voice of the archangel, and Jesus will be accompanied by the archangel, who is Michael. And the voice of the archangel will make a bold declaration. Something like the voice of John the Baptist in the wilderness, crying out, preparing the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, the fourth thing that will happen in this dramatic appearance of Christ and with the trumpet of God. We cannot even begin to imagine how traumatic this will be to hear the trumpet of God, not the trumpet of a man, but the trumpet of Almighty God Himself be signaled in the sky above. It will not be a soft harp that will play. It will not be a stringed instrument that will be Soothing. It will be a a militant trumpet blast. It will be a trumpet blast that will be commanding, and it will be arresting. And in the Old Testament, a trumpet would would be would be blown a shofar to announce the appearance of God. In the Old Testament, a trumpet would would be blown when it was time for the people to to break camp and to to fold up their tent and in the wilderness, to move on to the next stop. And when this trumpet is sounded, it will be an indication to you and me that God Himself, the Son of God, the Son of Man, will appear in the sky. And it is time for us to pack up and move out, and to leave this world behind, and burn our bridges behind us, and to go and appear with the Lord Himself, who has come for us. When you hear all of this, the shout of the Lord Jesus, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, I want to tell you, your heart will leap out of your chest. Your hair will stand on the back of your neck. Your knees will shake. Your whole body will reviberate with shock and awe at this dramatic moment, and your life will come to a standstill. And everything that you would have been doing, that book will be closed. It will be finished. And you will now step from time into eternity. The Lord Jesus will come dramatically and we would expect Him to come dramatically, as royalty, because He is the King of kings. And He is the Lord of lords. And He will not appear as He did at His first coming, born in a, in a stable. No, when He appears this next time, He will appear as King of kings and Lord of lords, with all the pomp and circumstance of a king making His appearance. And then fifth is the word visibly. He will appear visibly. Not only will we hear Jesus make the shout, but we will see Jesus with our own eyes. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, another favorite verse of mine from the New Testament. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we, will, what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Notice, because we will see Him. We will see Him just as He is. Notice the word appears. We know that when He appears, that word appears means to be made visible, to be made manifest, to be plainly recognized. In that moment, you will see Him and you will know immediately who He is and you will recognize Him as your Savior and as your Lord and at the end of verse 2, in 1 John 3, it says, we will see Him just as He is. This word see means to be, to behold with the eye. It's used, for example, in Matthew 2, how the, the wise men saw His star in the east and followed it and tracked it until it hovered over the house where Jesus had been born, and the wise men came in, and the text says they saw the child with Mary. The very very same word that is used here. And just as he was seen 2,000 years ago, because he had a body like the body that you and I have, so we will see the Lord Jesus Christ In his appearing. But notice the last four words of verse two, 1 John 3 2. The last four words, we shall see him, notice this, just as he is. Not as he was, not as the suffering servant of the Lord, not as one whose majesty was veiled, not as the meek Messiah not as the son of a lowly carpenter. No, we will see Him just as He now is, King of kings and Lord of lords. You say, what will He look like? We have some indication in Revelation chapter 1, as John was on the island of Patmos, John was given a vision of the glorified Christ with head and hair, white like wool, like snow, with eyes like a flame of fire, feet burnished, like burnished bronze glowing in a furnace, a voice like the sound of many waters drowning out every other voice, drowning out every other human opinion, in His right hand holding seven stars, who are the seven spiritual leaders of the seven churches. And out of His mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword with which He will slay His enemies, and His face shining like the sun. His face brighter than ten thousand suns in the sky above, blinding to even look upon Him. And we read that when John saw this vision of Christ, he fell like a dead man at the feet of Jesus, which means he just went unconscious. He, he fainted when he saw the glory of the Son of God in this state of exaltation. And so it will be for you and me We will not see Him as He once was. We will see Him as He now is, and His glory will be blinding, as His face will be shining like the sun, as we will see Him in the unveiled splendor of His sovereignty and His holiness. There's a sixth word oh, we're going to miss this. (laughs) There's a sixth word I want to give you, and it is the word powerfully. Because when he comes back, he will unleash his omnipotence and alter the state of the existence of every believer. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and in verse 16 and 17... We read this, the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the trumpet of God and the voice of the archangel. Now, note this, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Graves all across this globe will be opened, and Jesus will give the shout, and the bodies of every Christian down through time that have been buried and are in the ground, they will suddenly be resurrected and their bodies will be raised out of the grave, into the air. They will be, their bodies will be like shot out of a cannon to meet the Lord in the air. This is the unleashing of the supreme power of the Lord Jesus Christ. This will not be just like raising one man, Lazarus, from the dead. This will be like raising the bodies of believers all across the states, all across Europe, all across the United Kingdom, and Africa, and South America, and India, and the, and the Far East, and Australia, and, and New Zealand, all at once. These bodies will obey the command of Jesus. Come forth. And then in verse 17, then we, the we refers to believers in Christ who are alive at the time of the return of Christ. Then we who are alive and remain, we, we remain on the earth, we're alive. It says we'll be caught up together with them. This verb, will be caught up, is a very important word in the original language, and it, it means to be taken by force. It, it means to be seized or to be laid hold of and carried off by force. It's found 14 times in the New Testament. Matthew eleven twelve 12, it's translated... Violent men will take the kingdom by force. Speaking of the aggressiveness of repentance and faith. In Matthew twelve, twenty-nine, it's translated carry off. Matthew thirteen, nineteen, snatches away John six, fifteen, to take by force. I think we get the idea that as we are alive and remain, if we should be in that last generation, if we should hear the trumpet sound, this moment, we would be taken by force out of this world. We would be catapulted out of this earthly existence to meet the Lord in the air. And it says, we'll be caught up together with them. The them refers to the bodies of dead believers that will be instantly and immediately changed and transformed into the likeness of Christ's resurrection body, and all of us together will be with the Lord in the air, and He will take us back home to heaven. Here in verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, we will meet the Lord in the clouds. This could be uh, clouds like we see, around us that rain, or it's possible that these are the glory clouds that accompany the Shekinah glory of God to meet the Lord in the air. Not on the earth. He's not coming down to this earth. He's appearing in the air, and we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And then He says, And so we shall always be with the Lord, always be with the Lord. We will always be at His side. We will always be before His throne of grace. We will always be in fellowship with Him, never to be separated from the Lord again. That's the glory of the return of Christ. It's not just what's going to happen to us It's who we will see, who we will hear, who we will be with forever and ever and ever. Listen to 1 John 3 verse 2 again. It says, when He appears, we will be like Him. You want to know what you're going to be like in heaven? You're going to be like Jesus. Jesus. You're going to have a glorified body, and you're going to have a glorified soul and spirit. It will be incredible. You will have glorified eyes to behold Him with 2020 vision. You will have a glorified tongue to praise Him that will never grow tired. You will have a glorified heart to love Him. Jesus. You will have glorified knees to bow down before Him. You will have glorified hands to toss your crowns at His feet. You will have glorified ears to hear Him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You will have glorified feet with which you will stand faultless before His throne of grace." He will come powerfully, and when He appears, He is the Almighty, and He has power over dead bodies, He has power over living bodies, He will resurrect dead bodies, He will catch up living bodies, and then He will usher us to glory where we will be with Him forever and ever. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, I've already quoted it, but you need to hear the whole verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, we, referring to believers, we will be changed. Verse 53, for this perishable, referring to our corruptible body that is now withering and, and decaying, for this perishable must put on the imperishable. We will put on a a body that will never die, that will be immortal, that will be incorruptible and and unwithering. And this mortal, referring to our mortal body, a a mortal body is one that is subject to death, subject to disease, subject to to illness and sickness. This, This mortal must put on immortality. It will be a body that will live forever in the presence of Christ. It will never grow tired. It will never grow weary. It will be endued with supernatural strength that will enable us to worship Christ forever and ever and ever and never grow exhausted Never again be subject to the limitations of illness or sickness. Philippians 3 verse 21, Jesus will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of power. This word power comes into the English language as dynamite. There will, be a, there will be such a change that will take place in our bodies. It will be the, the unleashing of power, the equivalent far beyond of a volcanic eruption that will transform our bodies and our inner soul into the likeness of, of Christ. Christ. Seventh, triumphantly. Jesus will return as a triumphant king and victorious over man's greatest enemy, which is death. And at His appearing, He will have the victory over the grave as the graves will yield the body of believers. And He will have the victory over our decaying perishing, dying bodies as we will be caught up to meet the Lord, and we too will instantly and immediately have a glorified body and soul and spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 and 55, Paul writes of this triumphant return of Christ that will take place in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And he says at the end of verse 54, death is swallowed up, in victory. The victory of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary's cross and in His own resurrection will now be enacted in full, and Jesus will utterly devastate death. He will completely conquer the grave. And in verse 55… This verse mocks death, belittles death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And this verse shames death and shames the grave because death no longer has any power over our lives as when Jesus returns, He will remove the sting from death. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is for believers only, Unbelievers will be resurrected to stand in the judgment, to be condemned, and then cast down to hell, to be damned forever and ever in the lake of fire and brimstone. But for us, we will be resurrected unto life. And so, thanks be to God that the grave and death will not have the last word. I've been a pastor for many, many years, and I have performed many, many funerals. And I have seen the devastation of death far more than what I would ever want to see. And what a glory these verses are that Jesus will have the last word. And at the time of the return of Christ, there will be the full conquest of Jesus over death in the grave. Finally, I want you to know that Jesus is coming, or I told you I'd give you nine words, didn't I? All right, I'm going to give you the eighth word and then the ninth. The eighth word is selectively. He's not coming back for everybody. He doesn't love everyone the same. He's coming back for His own. He's not coming back for the goats. He's coming back for the sheep. He's not coming back for the tares. He's coming back for the wheat. He's coming back for His elect. He's coming back for true believers. And so in John 14, verses 2 and 3, really beginning in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 2, in my father's house, it's like a huge mansion, is the image. Not, Not a neighborhood, just one massive mansion. In my father's house are many dwelling places, many suites, many wings, many rooms, many floors. If it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, trust me, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the truth. For I go to prepare a place for you. And at His ascension, He went back into glory, and He has been preparing a place for us ever since. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This was not given to the Pharisees. This was not given to the Sadducees. This was not given to the scribes and to the lawyers. This was given... To his disciples. This was given to those who had left their nets, who had left their tax booth. It was given to those who had turned their back on the world and had become a follower of Jesus Christ. It was given to those who had denied themselves, taken up a cross, and become a follower of Jesus Christ. It was given to those who had stepped out of the crowd of this world to walk the narrow path that leads to life, that where I am, there you may also be. Think about this reunion. We're going to be all together. There's going to be Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah, all the prophets of old, the saints from yesteryear, Ruth and Esther, There's going to be John the Baptist. There's going to be Peter and James and John and Andrew. There's going to be John Wycliffe and John Huss and Martin Luther and John Calvin, all the way down to this present generation. There's going to be loved ones there, believing grandparents, believing siblings, believing parents, pastors. Disciples who've had an influence in your life. We're going to all be caught up together to be with the Lord. There's going to be a great separation. There's going to be a great discrimination. And there's going to be a separation of believers from unbelievers. There will be families that will be divided. There will be believing wives that will be caught up, and unbelieving husbands who will be left behind. There will be believing sister who will be taken, and unbelieving brother who will be left. There will be empty seats in Congress and Senate and untold numbers left behind. Now, He's coming back Selectively. He's coming back for his bride. He's not coming back for the devil's children. He's coming back for those who have been born again and have been birthed into his family and have been adopted by sovereign grace. He's coming back selectively. And the last word I will give you, number nine, imminently. Spelled with an I. That means he could come at any moment. Revelation 22, verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20 all say the same thing. The Bible ends on this grand crescendo. In verse 7, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. This is important. Please note the verb tense I am coming quickly it's in the present tense. It's not in the future tense. Jesus is not saying, I will be coming one day in the future. No, He says to every generation of believers since the time of His ascension, I am coming quickly. It's in the present tense, and the idea is, I am on the way. I'm in in route. I am in process. I'm I'm coming quickly, without delay. He says the same thing in verse 12 of Revelation 22, and then again in verse 20 to wrap up the message of the entire Bible. I want to tell you the return of Christ is sooner than any of us have any idea. He may not come for a thousand years, or he may come in five seconds. But we should always be living in a state of heightened readiness for the return of Christ. You don't want him to return and you be doing that of which you would be ashamed. You want to be doing that which glorifies his name when he returns. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, when Christ returns, he will have no trouble finding me, for I will be at the foot of the cross preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to be standing in the very center of God's will, wherever he places you, and be found there when he returns. So let me conclude this, let me give you three action points, three action steps, and we're finished number one, be comforted. Be comforted. Despite the destruction of the world all around us, be comforted in this fact that Jesus is coming to take us out of this world, to take us out of this mess. This world that is imploding is not our home. We are only strangers and aliens passing through. We are foreigners on this planet. We must not become too attached to this world. And we should be comforted by this truth, that we are laying up for ourselves treasure in heaven, not here upon the earth. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 18 says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. This is our great comfort today that Jesus will write the final chapter on this world, and He's going to take us out. Second, be challenged. Not only be comforted, but be challenged. We must remain strong in the grace of God. We we, we must be challenged not to conform to this world. We must be challenged not to compromise our convictions and not to compromise our beliefs. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. This should nail our feet to the floor. This should put strength into our faith. This should remind us that we cannot just blend in with the convictions of this world, Most are on the broad path headed for destruction. There are very few on the narrow path that are headed to life. And the last thing I would say to you is be converted. If you're not a Christian, you need to be converted. What I've just shared with you over these last minutes in this message is more true than anything else that's going on in your life. This is the future. This is what's looming on the horizon. This is what is nearer to us than it has ever been before. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, how could you possibly hear this and not be concerned for your soul? And if you have never committed your life to Christ, it may be that you're just a part of the group and a part of the crowd and wanting to stay blended in and anonymous. Perhaps at this moment through this message, God is singling you out and finding you, and as it were, tapping you on the shoulder and getting your attention through these verses. If you've never come to faith in Christ, I would urge you to do so today while there's time, because there is coming a time when there will be no time. Do not gamble your soul away. Do not not bet on tomorrow. Take the sure thing today. Come to Christ. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And when He comes, you'll be caught up to be with Him. And He will take you to a very special place that He has been, been preparing just for you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Lord says through his word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you have recorded the future and we know what lies ahead. There's no doubt, only certainty in our minds and in our faith. Lord, we say Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Take us home. Take us out of this wilderness. Take us to your Father's house. Put us into our our place there where we can be with all the redeemed of all the ages. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.